0: is, is why is it so hard to pray? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why is it so difficult to pray? Well, there's a lot of reasons that we could look at, and we could even divide these up, but let me just give you kind of an overview of three reasons why I think this is uh, maybe difficult. And the first one is this, and this would be mostly for you younger people. You maybe not know how to pray because you haven't been taught so well how to pray. Now I'm going to be honest with you, we try to, we pray quite a bit in our service if you really pay attention. And one of the things that we try to do is model what prayer looks like at different aspects and different ways. Um, and hopefully this particular sermon series would help you in learning to pray because Jesus is actually teaching us. And so I would hope that even all the words of a sermon wouldn't drown out what Jesus is trying to show us here and teaching us to pray. But I'll tell you this, especially for you young people. If you struggle with prayer because you don't know how to, I'll give you free lessons, okay? I won't cost pay, have you pay anything for it. So I'll give you free lessons. So there you go. So that's the first possible reason. The second one is one that I like to point out to people a lot. And that is one that you probably know. It's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil are intent on keeping you from prayer. They want to keep you in prayerlessness. Now, we could throw in sin into that as well, our own struggle with sin. So there's that wrestling. That's why I would include that here. There's this wrestling spiritually that's going on here. So the question is, Is, is how might you see the world, the flesh, and the devil working to keep you from your prayers to the Lord? Are you distracted Uh, Do you make it more complicated than it should be? Is it that you're not dedicated enough, that you would use the excuse, I'm too busy? That would put all of that in that category of spiritual warfare. And here's another one that I think that may be one of the things that I think this prayer especially helps us with, and that is you're not convinced that prayer works. Maybe you've prayed before and you feel like, I'm not sure God hears me. I'm not sure this works. I feel like sometimes it's useless. Or maybe you feel like the interest in it is, is very challenging to you. Um, I think that what we see here before us in the Lord's Prayer is that this prayer template helps us to alleviate these reasons and to grow us in intimacy with the Father. So what Jesus is doing. He's teaching us. How do I become intimate with the Father here? John Stott says this, and I think this is good, a good jumping point for us. It's even, I'll put the quote in, the, in your handout today for the notes if you have that. He, John Stott says this the entire formula is less concerned with the proper protocol and approaching deity than with the truth of who he is to establish within the believer the right frame of mind and so the first petition here that we come to we come to six petitions in this prayer so the first petition is hallowed be your name what it does is it establishes a right frame of mind because it exposes the truth of who he is and how he is to be honored So we're going to divide this verse up, and we're going to look at two issues. We're going to look first, or this phrase up, I should say. We're going to divide it up and look at it as this. To know His wonderful name is to know Him. To know His wonderful name is to know Him. That's what we see here in the prayer. And then secondly, to hallow His name is to honor Him. We'll unfold that secondly. So let's consider first of all, to know His wonderful name is to know Him. Now, before my sweet Olivia, our firstborn, was, was, uh, had, had come into this world, we did that thing that all parents do, which is we went out and bought a baby name book. Now, some of you guys have old baby name books, and some of you younger people may have never looked at a baby name book because you can search the Internet now. You just go online, you type in baby names and poof, there's all kinds of things out there. But we did that, and and we began to look at it, and and the question is, is why did we do that? Why in the world did we go and buy a baby name book? What is the big deal about a name? Well, for some people, it's just, i got to have a name, and I'm going to find out the coolest one I can find. I still remember when I was a teenager, and you guys, please don't hold this against me. I'm just telling you, that's how crazy I was. It wasn't actually when I was a teenager. I was a young boy, probably about Silas's age, maybe maybe a little bit younger than Silas. You're 12, right? Okay. All right. So somewhere between 10 and 12 years old. So I didn't like my name, and so I wanted to change it. I was hoping for a nickname, and I was desperately hoping someone would call me Ace. Don't ask me why. (laughs) I don't know. I look at that now and I think, what kind of foolishness was going on in your mind? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That's what the scripture <laughs> says. There's a lot of foolishness there. So, so we don't just pick names by random to just to have some cool name or something like that. So listen to what uh, author Joseph uh, Petrusa says. He lays it out this way. Listen. The one defining characteristic we all share, the one unique and profound element of each and every one of us, is the name we are given. From the reason to why we were given such a name, to the historical lineage and significance of what a name has come to represent, our name, beyond its objective purpose, encompasses what and who each of us is. Its essence is at the heart of our existence. Your name is utterly more powerful and significant than simply the characters that represent it. Interestingly, when I did a search on this and I was reading about it, I, I, in, in my reading, I came across several like studies of, on the topic of the significance of names specifically geared to the impact that they have in a positive or negative way on a person. I was like, this is fascinating. Mike Gary writes this, Some names may propel people forward and give them momentum toward greatness in their given situation. For others, the name can add weight and actually stymie growth and stifle the spirit. He further muses this, that some Native American customs allow for various names to be given throughout certain seasons of one's life. You know, as I was thinking about that, I was like, that's true. There's been books I've read. There's been some documentaries I've seen. And, you know, and like if you, you know, those old things where they're, they're, you know, like a white person comes into that community and then they're given a name. It's very fascinating. Um, Sometimes, and I found this true as well, Changing one's name when you cross cultures is a great help to some as they seek to relate to others. Uh, Some of you may know a good friend of mine and and the Enzers by the name of Derek, too. Derek is from Taiwan, and I cannot say his Taiwanese name. He took on an American name. And identify him with that. But I've heard him speaking to people before in his his, uh, Mandarin language and talking and using that name, and it's fascinating. So he did that in order to uh, come into this culture and better relate to others. So as you think about just those few things that I've mentioned there, just think about it for a moment. It's amazing how the various aspects of our name is important. And I think that we all have lost touch with this a little bit more in our society. Now, if you've been a biblical person and you've grown up reading the Bible, uh, let me give you an example for us, and maybe for many of you and your families as well. You know, when we bought that baby name book, we kept that baby name book, and maybe even bought a second one. I think we had two eventually. By the time all our children were were uh, born and named, you know, you. But when you have, you know, six children. You think about their names. I'll never forget one time, and this was, I hope my brother doesn't hear this, but we had a name picked out for one of our children, and my brother stole it. And we were so upset about that for about a month, you know. (laughs) But I can't imagine our children not being the names that we've given them. And it's so funny because even as I pray for them, you know, I think about each of their characteristics in terms of the way of of who they are and how they've been named and how we pray for them. Let me give you just one example Mia Grace. The reason why Mia Grace is named Mia Grace. It's because for Kristen it meant my grace. Because right before Mia was born. You know know, we gave birth to a child who who had died in the womb. So Mia is my grace. You see the significance. Now here's the thing. As you think about that. It comes really from the, the flow of God's creative reality doesn't it? Now the world doesn't know that. But as we open the scriptures it's everywhere. Um. Uh, think about this in the scriptures. A biblical name could record some aspect of a person's birth, like for me, example. Uh, Biblical names sometimes express the parent's reaction to the birth of a child. Um, Biblical names were sometimes used to secure the, uh, the solidarity of family ties. Biblical names could be used to communicate God's message. Biblical names were also used to establish an affirmation with God. Biblical names were given to establish authority over another or to indicate a new beginning or a new direction in a person's life. When you read the Scriptures, you'll see this just kind of unfold before you. Names are important. Think about this. One of the first things that Adam was given to do was what? Name all the animals. Names are important. They are more than just a way to identify the person. They are closely bound up to a person's identity. Therefore, therefore, and here's where we're going with all this. When God reveals himself by a certain name in the Bible, he is using that name to reveal himself as he is. His names are explanatory. They are revelatory. As we consider the characteristics of those names, Jesus tells us here to pray, hallowed be your name. Before we discuss what that means, hallowed be the name, let's pause and think about God's wonderful name. Now some of you may be sitting here thinking, now Patrick, that sounds good, but I think God has more than one name and you would be right. Actually, in the Scripture, He has hundreds of names. It's quite amazing. I can think of several reasons for this, but the most pronounced is, and if you think of it this way, remember our Father who is where? He's in heaven. He's transcendent. He is above the heavens and the earth and all space and all time and all creation. And so how do we know such a being? Only by his revealing himself to us. And one of the ways that he does that is through his names. So let's consider a few to get to know him better. The basic and first name that God gives us in various forms is El. El, Eloah, Elohim. It's used thousands of times in the Scriptures with different things connected to it. Elohim is actually the first name given for God in the Bible. In Genesis 1-1 we read, In the beginning Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now the root meaning of this name has to do with strength and power, which as you think about it, obviously that's the case, because it's showing His strength and His power as He created all things. He spoke and it was. You know, we watch these superhero movies and we kind of marvel at those, those powers and strengths and everything. And it's very fascinating that none of them have all the, all the powers. They just have different powers. And we look at God and we realize He has them all. All He has to do is speak. Speak. And it happens. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. What's uh, interesting about this particular wording and the unusual characteristic is, is that it's in the plural form. So even from the very first part of the Bible, there's this mystery here. A plural form of for the name of God is used to describe the one God. And it is a mystery that is uncovered throughout the rest of the Bible in the Trinity. It's incredible. Now the next name that we find significant is Yahweh. Now it, it's been pronounced Jehovah. You know, Jehovah Jireh. Uh, but as, as scholars have moved toward trying to better understand what possible vowels could be used here, most people say it's Yahweh. Um, if you are a scholarly person, I'm not trying to be too technical, but I just think this is cool. If you read in a book, you'll come across this word called tetragrammaton, and it just means the four letters, and that's what it's talking about here, the tetragrammaton. That's for you, AJ, by the way. And um, for, so it's, it's Yahweh. And, and so what is Yahweh? Do you remember where that word came from, where that name came from? Well, it came from when when God revealed Himself to Moses, and He said, I am that I am. What is your name? Who are you, God? I am that I am. They won't listen to me. Tell them I am sent you. This comes from the Hebrew verb to be, and it is associated with our God. It declares that God's is 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 absolute in being, that he is self-existent, that he is unchanging, that he is the source of everything, that he is without beginning and he is without end. I am. By the way, today's rabbis would typically use Adonai in place of Yahweh if they were speaking and reading the Bible in that in that tongue. So if you hear the words someone say Adonai, it's typically because It's looking at Yahweh there. And so in your English Bibles, you could see, and everybody should know this, but if it's all capitals, L-O-R-D, that's where it says Yahweh. That's where it uses this, this term for God, this name for God. So what about other names that are seen in Scripture? I mean, just think about some of the ones that you may know. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High. Jehovah Ra, My shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Even Adonai again, my Lord and my master. These are just a few, just a few of the vast number of names that God has given us to know Him. He is so glorious, so wonderful. It takes all of them to show what He is like. And so the question for you then as we think about this is, do you know His name? Do you know His name? Do you know His names? Understanding His revealed names will help you to know Him and to trust Him in prayer. You know, each one of these, like He's my shepherd. If, if, if you're in a place where I just don't know where to go, Lord. I, I'm lost. I need Your help. You go to jehovah My shepherd. If you're in in pain and in sickness and and, and maybe even in sorrow, emotionally, you can go to Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, and say, oh God, my Lord that heals, please heal me. For listen, as we get to know Him, we see that He is a strong one. He's the mighty one. He is the all-powerful Creator God. He is the self-existent, unchanging one. The source of everything. And so the Almighty, the Most High Shepherd, heals, and He provides, and He cares for, and He nurtures And one of the things that I thought about from this, and as a matter of fact, it hit me so strong this morning as I was going back through the sermon. I sent Dan Wallace a note, and I asked him this. I said, Dan, do you know of any translation that has been done from the original languages that has these words laid out like this? Now, here's the thing is, is it would have to have these words laid out with, like I I could come across Jehovah-Ra and not really get it, so I would have to have maybe in parentheses beside it, the Lord is my shepherd. But I was asking him, is there ever been a translation done like this? We were talking, Chuck and I, and, and maybe Bruce too or AJ1 were talking about this a couple weeks ago, how you know, we miss out on so much when we miss out on these words because we just use God or Lord. But if we stopped, you know, and all you have to do is to buy concordance. You know, if you're not a computer geek, you can buy concordance and you can look up those words as you go and you can see them kind of laid out before you. Um, And if you have, if you're into computers and you have like a a software program, you could just put your little cursor, that's kind of a weird name for that thing in a cursor, you know, but you put your little cursor on the word and it pops up, you know, um, Jehovah, Jireh. The deal is this. The name of God stands for His character. And everything which um, mentions His name and calls us to Him and calls us to uh, think about Him in our minds, you know, as we look at His words, as we look at His works, all of this calls us to pay attention and to know Him. So that... In our prayer, as Jesus instructs us, us, as we know his name, as we understand his character, we are to hallow his name. Hallowed be thy name. So do you know his name? If you know his name then, what are we called to do? To hallow his name is to honor him. That's our second point, to hallow his name, is to honor him. Now, hallowed or hallow is obviously not a word that we use in everyday life in our culture, is it? Um, as a matter of fact, I was thinking about this, you know, outside the Lord's Prayer. Uh, really, the only uses that came to mind were Halloween. Halloween. You know, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, that's interesting. You know, that's that time of year when you dress up fun or scary, and you go around and beg people for candy. It's that time of year, right? Uh, I don't even, we don't even call it Halloween in our house. We call it uh, 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 family and candy time is what we call it, is what we do. Um, the second comes in literature, which is interesting. Some of you may have heard of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Hmm. Some of that comes into culture as well. Now, both of these, honestly, are rather spooky, aren't they? They're rather spooky. So uh, let me be honest with you. Now, this was well before Harry Potter for sure. But when I first started thinking about this prayer as a Christian, and I read it and it said, Hallowed be thy name, I'm like, what does that mean? Is God's name supposed to be spooky? Because that's how I associated it. I associated it with spooky things. And, and I didn't quite understand, you know, what it meant. And, and it, so I tried to figure that out. So in light of these associations, sometimes I think we get lost in understanding what this word really means. So let me define it for you. The word hallowed as defined by Webster is to make holy or to set apart for holy use. Uh, it also means to respect greatly, to venerate. So some synonyms are this, to bless, to consecrate, to sacralize, or to sanctify. So, to hallow, God's name means to hold it in reverence. Hence, as we hold His name in reverence, we hold Him in reverence, in honor, and glory, and we exalt Him. Obviously, to do this, we have to uh, have far more than a mere intellectual knowledge of the meaning of His divine names. As we discussed last week, we come first to the Father as His children into His presence in prayer. Um, He has a special relationship with us as His people, and He receives us, and He hears our prayers. And I said last week, it's not that unbelievers can't pray to God. I think they can But it's a different relationship. It's that relationship we have as we have with our father. Um, I pointed out maybe Conrad. If he were my father, I could go and I could ask him as my father for $500. If I go as just me, not his son, asking him for $500 is a totally different thing. So the important thing that we see here in this is that we are called to a deeper relationship as His people, a childlike relationship. We are His. And remember how Jesus divided those categories. He divided the categories. He said, you're either the son of, of God or you're the, you're the son of the devil. I mean, that's how He divided the categories. And so we are called then to come into His presence. And, and as we do, we add, hallowed be thy name. And as we do this, what we're saying is, as one commentator said, we're coming to him in humility of spirit, of gratitude of heart, in earnest study of God's works until that observation changes into rapturous astonishment and worship. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to here. As you come in prayer into this and you say these words, you think about the, 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 the character of God. And so as we recite them, that's fine. But what I think the Lord would have us do is to slow down as we come to this prayer slow down and to stop and to think about each phrase and then move on. So in your quiet time, you could actually divide up this prayer and you could put it phrase by phrase and break that phrase down on a piece of paper and spend time even writing down, Lord, this is who you are. I adore you. I worship you. So think again, if you were to do this, um, how His names point to His deeds of love, His protection, His sustenance, His power, His glory. Maybe you would use the Psalms. Hendrickson, William Hendrickson reminds us that the Psalms are filled to overflowing with the idea that for those who trust in Him, the Lord is the hearer of prayer, the refuge of the time in the storm. He is the one who daily cares, who blots out transgression who never forsakes His children, not even at the moment of death. So in praying this way, we are praying for eyes to see and hearts to appreciate His glory. In true prayer, we are following our chief purpose for which we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In light of this, even though that comes from the Westminster, and I think it's wonderful, I actually like the Heidelberg Hatt- Catechism better on this point. Listen to what it communicates: that prayer simply, this prayer simply means, Lord, help us to know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy truth and it also means help us to direct all our living what we think say and do so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us but always be honored and praised you see what the lord would have us to see is that in praying this way we are praying for eyes to see and our and hearts to appreciate his glory for ourselves as well as others So if you look at this prayer, then in living it out, I can pray it, and I want the Lord's name to be high and lifted up in my heart, but I also want that in others' hearts. So when I pray that as I'm living it out, it's calling others to join with me in lifting up Him. In revering Him and honoring Him and glorifying Him. Whether it be here in this space on a Sunday morning in worship, or whether it be in our homes as we settle down to read the Scripture and to pray together, or whether it is when we give witness to Him out in the community and, and praise Him in light of His marvelous deeds. The Psalms are filled with this too. This this calling, um, this precept for us to to declare His name together. Listen, just to a few. Psalm 78, 4. We will not hide um, hide them from our children, but tell to them the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. What does that say to us? We are to proclaim these things together with our children. Psalm 118.4 Let those who fear the Lord say His steadfast love endures forever. Notice it says let those. Let those together. Uh, Psalm 34.3 O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt His name together. That verse is actually inscribed on the ring that Kristen gave me on our wedding day. Let us magnify the Lord together. Psalm 107, Psalm 108, Psalm 124, Psalm 136. The list goes on and on and on. All proclaim and ask us to proclaim His Word and His works and His wonders together. The Lord is saying, will you join together as my people? Will you join together as My people before the world and make Me known and honor Me? Here's the thing. As we noted before, you can know all about God, but not truly know Him. As we move into the New Testament, we discover that we know Him by knowing the Son whom He sent. You may remember the character in the New Testament in the book of Acts by the name of Saul. You know, Saul was a leader in the Jewish church at that time, and he followed the rules of the church very, very focusedly. You know, he he really focused on it. But he did not follow Jesus. He did not know Jesus. More than that, he hated Jesus. He hated all who who followed Jesus. Jesus, and he even sought to have them killed. And so Saul knew about God. And he had studied the names of God even. I know he did because he knew the Old Testament scriptures so well. But he missed the focal point of the Bible, of, of the unfolding plan of redemption. He missed it, as so did many others. And he did not trust in Jesus, the Lamb of God, the mighty I Am, Right there, he is identifying himself with Yahweh, by the way, which is why one of the reasons why they hated him. The truth, the door, the way, the life. Isn't it interesting how Jesus does the same thing as the Father here? The many names of Jesus, the many titles of Jesus. So as Saul was traveling down the road to Damascus, you know the story A bright light hit him in the face. It flashed all around him and falling to the ground, he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is that? Who is saying that? Saul asked the question, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Notice, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Was Jesus physically there being persecuted? What is Jesus saying there? I'm identifying myself with my people. I live in my people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you are uh, doing these things to them, you are persecuting me. And he said, rise, Paul, Saul. Rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. And it was Jesus, the I Am, the Lamb of God, who had died for Saul's sins. You see, Saul knew about Jesus. He had taught, um, he knew that he had come and that he had taught about God the Father. He knew that he had died on the cross. But Saul didn't believe it until he met him. And there he met Jesus. Jesus introduced himself to to Saul. And as he rose from the ground, it's very interesting, isn't it, in the passage, he can't see, he's blind at this point. So he can't physically see, but his eyes have been opened more than he could ever imagine. And he saw Jesus for who he was, who the Father had revealed him to be, who the Father had sent him to be, the Savior Who saves the whole world from sin. Before Saul knew about God. But now he knew God as Savior. And he was compelled not only to glorify and know Christ. But to make Him known. So the question that I think we need to first face is this. Do we really know this Jesus? Who reveals the Father? Do we really know Him? See, so that is the first step to intimate prayer, isn't it? To know Jesus. Because He is the one who reveals the Father more in its fullness. For those of us who do know Him, this first petition also illuminates some of the obstacles that we have to prayer. Unbelief, doubt, weakness and understanding of who He truly is. We may also master great amounts of information about Him, and yet, cease to be intimate with Him. In other words, we may be diligent in the study of the Word of God, but not know the God of the Word. Beyond our praying, to our living out our prayers, do we speak well of our great God? Are you personally filled with eagerness that your Father's name would be adorned? Or do you have a desire to communicate His glory to others? If you're like me, and, and actually in talking to Laurie and Yannick the other day, which I enjoyed our lunch very much, we talked about this aspect of evangelism. And they pointed out rightly that it's not that we don't know the words to say. It's not that we can't glorify Him. It's that we're fearful. Now, here's the thing with that. And understand this, okay? Hear me. In all of our struggles with prayer. And with hallowing His name. And in not hallowing His name. God's grace is bigger than our fear. It is bigger than our distraction. It is bigger than our sins. His mercy is new every morning in Christ. And I believe as we pray this first petition and we understand what it means, His grace and our desire will be met. As I was reading, I came across a story of one who I believe this happened in. His name was David Brainerd. Some of you may know him. He was a missionary in the 1700s to the Native Americans that were around. I mean, can you imagine being that guy? I'm going to go out there to the Native Americans and I'm going to share my faith. Can you imagine during that time? He was also the son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards. and Jonathan Edwards respected him and loved him so much, he wrote... A book about it. <laughs> this is what David Brainerd said. He said, "My heaven is to please God." Listen to that. My heaven is to please God and to glorify him and give all to him and to be wholly devoted to His glory. That is the heaven I long for. That is my religion. That is my happiness. I do not go to heaven to be advanced. But to give honor to God, would we hallow his name in this way together? Let's pray.